Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Father, we're going to pull your words that are so dear to us and pray them right back to you. Or to Psalm 119, verse 130. We love it. We love it. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Lord, we simply come in the presence of your magnificent word, in, in your awesome presence, Lord God. You are the almighty and everlasting Father. And we're basking in your goodness this morning. We're so glad to be together. Glad, moreover, that you're with us that you comfort us, that you pour your compassion on us, and that you build us up, Lord God. Father, you're bringing us to this place that's described in Ephesians 5. Jesus is sanctifying his bride. He will present her to himself without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Lord, we want to be right in the middle of that work with you. Be glad for the work you do. So, Father, work in us. Work in us and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got this two-year Bible plan that we're reading through, walking through this thing. Last Sunday, we finished up Judges, and then this week, we've done the whole book of Ruth. Uh, unless you're running a little bit behind, behind, and maybe you didn't finish the book of Ruth. The good news in the reading plan is that in the last seven days, we've had three catch-up days, and we have another one another one tomorrow, so you can kind of get all caught up. And if you didn't know it before, I'll tell you, Ruth is... Uh, is just four chapters long, so you can, you can get caught up there. Meanwhile, today, we're going to get the whole thing. So we're going to kind of come to this place where we're, we're all together on this thing. The book of Ruth is a love story. Love story. Uh-huh. So much so that back in the 50s, Hollywood even made a movie based on the Bible book. It was one of those, uh, it did not have Charlton Heston in it. But it was one of those cinemascope, technicolor, gaudy, kind of overdone types of things, you know. And, and, and the guys who starred in it, last week they were in a gangster movie. You know, but this week they got robe and sandals and brushed up on their Shakespeare, and suddenly they're acting out all these great, these great scenes from the, from the Bible. Well, the movie wasn't too bad. I remember seeing it as a kid, like a Saturday TV matinee. Uh, but today we get the book version, which is way, way, way better. One thing that makes Ruth such a great love story is that it is set in a very unlovely kind of time. If you open up your Bible to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, the very first phrase in the very first book gives us the setting. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Hold it right there. Do you remember judges? Especially those closing chapters? crazy stuff like just like you i was reading through judges and you know especially those those, those last half a dozen chapters or, or, or so i'm reading through that and i'm thinking who ever thought this was a good idea there's just crazy bloody gory awful stuff going on and then it went downhill you wonder <laughs> how does this how does this even even happen well we know how it happens there's this a theme that runs through the tail end of Judges. We get it four times there toward the end of the book. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What is that? 17.6, 19.1, 1, the very last verse, the very last phrase of the book of Judges, 21.25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
Well, that's the setting of Ruth. Doesn't that just sound like the perfect place for a love story? Well, it's for certain the perfect place for God to show up in his mercy and in his favor and with his unmitigated genius and give us a story for the ages. And not just a story, it's a pattern. It's an example. Church, I believe that the, the, the story of Ruth is meant to play out in our day. And I believe we are called as the bride of Christ to take up these roles described in the ancient book, to play those, play those out and, and actually work with the Lord in our own sanctification. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. That's the setting and that's the connection that we have right now. So for the sake of bringing us all to the same place at the same time, here is the shortest possible recap of the book of Ruth. Three widows, all in the same household, not a man left standing. You have the Israelite Naomi, the mother-in-law in this group, from uh, Bethlehem. Ooh, Bethlehem, very Christmassy, hold that thought. And her two daughters-in-law. For Naomi, there is no future in Moab where she and her husband and their two sons sojourned earlier because of the famine back in Judah. No hope for her, no future for her at all. So she sets out for Bethlehem, and the daughters-in-law are with her. They've learned that the famine back there is over. So they head back toward Bethlehem, and, the, and one of the daughters-in-law, Orpah, turns back to her people in Moab. But Ruth goes on with Naomi. But even back in Bethlehem, it's tough. Now, there weren't, weren't all these social structures in place, you know, that, that, that we might have now. Naomi has no means of support on oh, this foreign girl. Who is she? But Ruth, the daughter-in-law, she's willing to glean in the fields. Now, if you don't know, if you could imagine trying to make a living on what, you, what crumbs you could pick up in McDonald's parking lot, kind of that. It wasn't even subsistence farming. It was just trying to pick up a little bit here, a little bit there, and try not to, to starve to death. Well, she's gleaning in the barley fields, and barley field is where she meets Boaz, the owner of the field and the employer of the crew of reapers that's going through this field in the harvest. Ah, romance ensues. Boaz and Ruth are married. They have a son named Obed who becomes the grandfather of King David, which puts them all in the direct lineage of Jesus. Yes, that Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, away in a manger, born in Bethlehem. Merry Christmas. So that's the hard beginning and the happy ending of the Ruth story. What I want us to look at, to study, to own and understand is all the stuff in the middle. And here's why. At any given point, in this four-chapter story, the whole thing could have gone sideways. Because that's just what things did in the time of the judges. Stuff got jacked up, burnt down, people were left scratching their heads going, oh, that was, that was ugly. That was so ugly. How then did this man and this woman, instead of being just two more messed people making the big mess bigger, how was it that these two moved the story of Messiah, Messiah, I say, one huge step forward. My theory is simply this, that Boaz and Ruth cooperated with the Lord. Now, there's a profound theological statement for you. 
They cooperated with the Lord. In a time when that didn't happen much, it happened in them on, on purpose. You know, Bible scholars are so besotted with Boaz that they're willing to call him the embodiment, the Old Testament embodiment of God's kindness. Whoa. I doubt Boaz knew that in the moment, in the moment or might, might have crushed him. Like, oh, I can't handle that. Now, I've yet to read the Bible scholar who's willing to bestow such a title on Ruth. But I am. <laughs> Not that I'm a Bible scholar exactly, but I think Ruth embodies a very, a very important principle of the Christian life. She trusts the Lord. She comes throughout this story with that God will make a way kind of faith. She's the one who supplies that. God plunked her down in the direst of circumstances, in the unlikeliest of times, and yet she, she held fast. She sought out who was trustworthy, and pe- those who were trustworthy were those who were trusting the Lord. Don't forget Naomi's part in this whole, in this whole love story. See, I believe they were all operating on a principle that I want to I roll this out to you, right, for your consideration. Hear it now, and then we'll talk more about it. I believe God's kindness is always and ever looking for a means of expression. And I mean in tangible, measurable, concrete ways. It doesn't just hang out there like static electricity doing nothing. It doesn't lay around in, in the realm of, of theory. It's meant to make things happen. So consider that in a few minutes. I want to lay out the scriptural basis for, for why I would believe such a thing and for why I, I hope you're able to believe such a thing. But for right now, let's, let's fill in some of the blanks about Boaz and Ruth. So Boaz shows up in, in chapter 2. Take a look at that chapter. Go to verse 4. And behold, big entrance. And behold, I think in the old movie they go kind of King Jamesy on it, you know. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Okay, we're reading Bible. Such a greeting doesn't sound so much out of place, but don't forget the historical context. This was in the days when the judges ruled, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. As, as Boaz came from Bethlehem to this barley field, he probably passed another field over here belonging to some other dude, and they're burning incense under every green tree. And if you went a field or two over, they might be offering their children to Molech or just trying to figure out which pagan god to worship this week. But in Boaz's field, there is sanctuary and there is blessing. It rolls off his lips and he receives it from the lips of the reapers just as natural as you please. And you get the idea, this, this Boaz guy, he's, he's different. And what can we learn about, about Ruth? Well, take a look at oh, verse 5 through verse 7. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Why would she be gleaning for so long? Because she wasn't just gleaning for herself. She needed more than just what she had to, had to survive on. She's, she's gleaning to help feed Naomi as, as well. 
And for an even deeper look at who Ruth is, take back, look back into verse, or chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. They're on their way back, from, back to Bethlehem from Moab. And Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ooh, that's devotion. And not just to Naomi. It's devotion to Naomi's people through what Ruth knows about Naomi. And, even better still, that's devotion to Naomi's people and Naomi's God through what Ruth knows from Naomi. You can work with that. You can definitely work and build on that. So that's devotion there in Ruth and in Naomi, for that matter. What do we know more about, about Boaz? Let's get a little more about this guy. Move into verses 8 through 12 in chapter 2. So back here in the barley field, Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that passage. Now, the one from chapter 1, that, that shows up in weddings because it shows that devotion. This one right here just lights me up. It really does. Why? It's because Boaz doesn't just talk about God's kindness in floaty terms. Boaz is an active agent of God's kindness and blessing. He knows that God's kindness and blessing is meant to land solidly in the solid lives of his, of his God's, re, God's real people. Nothing ethereal about it. He's an active agent in what's going on here. So you've got this, got this devotion. You've got this uh, manner of blessing that, that Boaz is just, just steeped in. And you know what? After he gives that blessing, he gives credit to the Lord. He just kind of shuffles it all off and, and points back Back to God. So if Ruth had any idea that, that maybe this Boaz was just a nice guy, Boaz is right already on top of it. He's out ahead of it. The Lord bless you. The Lord give you a full reward. You've, you've come to take shelter under, under his wings and refuge there. He's the one. He's the one. And then how does Naomi figure into this? If you go back to that scene in chapter 1 where they're leaving Moab, coming to Bethlehem, she, she, has, she expresses this wish for both of her daughters-in-law. She says, uh, The Lord grant you that, you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. 
Well, she only has one daughter-in-law now with her in Bethlehem, so she can actually do something, something, something there. You like that matchmaker story of Naomi? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kay has tried that over the years. Scares me to death. You know, she starts like, oh, oh, baby, we're gonna. <laughs> I don't know, um, but that's why Kay and I make up one couple together because she is everything I'm not all the good stuff. I tell our kids all the time, you got all your mama's best traits and all of my worst. I'm sorry. But I like Naomi's part in this. Now she's, she's on site with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and they're, make, they're making this thing work. And yet Naomi still knows that, that thing that she had expressed back on the way from Moab. So in chapter 3, verse 1, <laughs> then Naomi, her, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? And then she starts in on the plan so that her daughter-in-law can find rest and experience blessing. All right, so are these, just, are these just warm, fuzzy people? If so, they're not plunked down in a whole bunch of warm, fuzzy people. It's just not that kind of historical setting. But, but more than that, do you think maybe they're expressing God's kindness? And if you think maybe that's the case, how would we investigate? How would we look into this and see okay, is this God's kindness or is this just a general do-good kind of, a, kind of an attitude? I want to lay out some, some measurements for you. And, and the first measurement is, is this. Take a look at this scenario and notice nobody has put his or her own best interests at the top of the list. Boaz wants to take good care of Ruth. Why? Because Ruth wants to take good care of of Naomi. Naomi wants to help find a husband because Naomi, Ruth had been married to Naomi's son. There was this expectation of enjoying married life and, and the glory of race, glory of raising a family. Glorious, isn't it? Yeah. Each of them has put the interests of, of others ahead of their own. If there's any uh, dear sister of mine, Jaquita, we have this term we use, collateral blessing. Yeah, it's the other side of collateral damage. No, collateral blessing. There may be some collateral blessing in this, but they're going to pursue the, the, the good and the blessing of others ahead of themselves. That's the first test of whether or not this is God's kindness. These folks here are steadfast in their devotion to love one another well. You know, earlier I said, uh, I laid that, that, that principle out to you that God's kindness is always looking for a means of expression. And I wanted to, uh, to put this thing, uh, where is it written, okay? We're going to take a look at that. Go to the New Testament and uh, the Gospel of Mark. That's chapter 12. And while you're headed there, I'll lay out a little bit of the context. In this section of Mark's Gospel, the religious leaders of the day are doing their doggondest to trip Jesus up in his speech so that he would fall out of favor with the people. And then the religious leaders could maintain their, their little playhouse like they had been for quite some time. And so there, there are different groups of people who are coming come trying to trip him up. The, the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians were the first, and they basically got chopped off at the knees. Then came the Sadducees, and they fared <laughs> even worse. But you get to verse 28 in Mark chapter 12. And you pick this up. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with, with, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? 
Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. These are matters that are, that are dear to God's heart. And notice what Jesus does with them. You might think that love for God can just hang out there in the realm of the theoretical. You might think that, sure, it's easy. Well, it is easy to say, yeah, I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's take it a step further. You might think that it's possible to thoroughly express love for God in worship and prayer. Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says, if you have love for God in you, it'll be manifested as love for others. Yow. Okay. God's love is looking for a way to be expressed. Those who are true lovers, all right, Romans, Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Does that sound active? Does that sound like the, the love of God is going to want to get out to, to the move? To make things happen. The true lovers of God, the ones who've had God's love poured into them, in the very moment, in the same split second that circumstances say, so you say you have love for God, prove it. In that same instant, true lovers are God to go, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. God has made a way. His love has been poured into me through the Holy Spirit. He wants out. He wants us to make a difference. I love what Andrew says to us every once in a while, whether an elder meeting, staff meeting. He says, you know, when the people of God walk into a room, it should change. Should be different. Remember when we were in Deuteronomy and, and God, whoa, God told Moses, take these people and get on to the promised land. I'm not going with you. No, 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 no. No. If you don't go with us, we don't go, please. Because it's your presence. Is it not your presence that makes us distinct from all the peoples of the earth? Yes, it is. God's love poured into our hearts makes rooms different. It makes homes different. It makes workplaces different. It makes city blocks and counties and states and countries different because of the presence of God and his love poured into the hearts of his people. Those true lovers of God in that moment, they're going to be, they know, we know there is a way. God has made a way. Hey, display this love for God right there. <laughs> You're free to express the love of God on anybody who's not you. You know, the one teacher of the law asked, well, who is my neighbor? Oh, man, don't be trying to split hairs. 
you are free to express the love and kindness and goodness and favor and, and mercy of God on anybody who's not you. And Jesus will bear witness. Just like he said in Matthew 25, verse 40. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Full circle. Love of God, love of others. Love of God, love of others. Love of God. Perpetually. I said earlier that uh, if you're trying to figure out whether it's the kindness of God actually that you're, that you're wishing to express, there's a, there's a measurement. Like, does it put the concerns of others ahead of, ahead of your own? And Philippians 2.3 speaks straight into that. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So that's the first test. The best test, I would say, is this. Does it honor God? The, the best test. If it only honors me, probably not the kindness of God I'm hoping to express here. But if it honors God, if it honors God, like, whoa, let's roll, let's roll with that. Let's go, let's go that direction. Okay, we can see it back into the story of, of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and the people of Bethlehem there. We can see it in, in, in their lives. See, there were obstacles. I told you, romance ensued, and a little short recap. Romance ensued, and, and Boaz and Ruth were married, had a baby. Like, okay, great. There were obstacles. This wasn't just a sweeper off her feet and let's go find somebody to pronounce this man and wife. There were obstacles. There were tough things. If this was going to be worked out right, there were steps to take, and some of them were difficult, and some of them were, were scary. Now, did you notice, Boaz is the owner of the field. He has a crew working for him. In this, this Bethlehem economy, Boaz is a wealthy and influential man. And he lived in the days when the judges ruled and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. He could have just said, I'll do what I want. And short-circuited, shortcut, the, the whole thing. But Boaz trusted God. He trusted God and cooperated with him. See, one of the biggest problems was <laughs> there was a closer kinsman who had the first right of redemption on the land that had belonged to uh, Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. Naomi has the land up for sale for whatever reason. Maybe this is a redemption from before they ever left Bethlehem in the first place. Maybe she's trying to liquidate, you know, and, and, and try to find a way to keep, keep on living. Either way, you know, here's, here's Boaz. He's on the scene, but there's a man who is closer. You go back into Deuteronomy 25, the closest kinsman has the first right of redemption on the land. But Boaz is trusting God. He doesn't just call this guy out, you know, to the woodshed. He goes to the city gate, and he gathers the elders, and he, and he brings this thing, and he walks it through, walks it through, walks it through. <laughs> and it's really glorious, really glorious how it, how it turns out. Okay, so the closer kinsman, this would be advantageous for him to redeem the land. Makes his ranch bigger. And so in, in Ruth 4.4, 4, he says, I will redeem it. Ha-ha. That sounds good. Easy business decision, decision to make. Look how Boaz comes back. Then Boaz says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Oh, that sheds a little bit different light on things. 
Acquiring the land was a good business decision. Acquiring the young, exotic Moabite woman might have been fun for the, for the kinsmen as well. <laughs> but when it became a matter of sharing the wealth, his, his children would have to split the inheritance with any children he had with Ruth. His inherit, the estates were merged like, oh, whoa. When it put a ding in his portfolio, he's out. He's out. So you go on through the, the story, and then the Redeemer says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Well, then comes the, <laughs> then comes the sandal thing. If you're confused about the sandal thing, go back to uh, Deuteronomy 25, the first 10 verses, and, uh, and verses 8 through 10. I, won't, I, I love it. I love it. Right, so, the, so a, a man dies without children, and his wife is surviving. There is no heir. The, the, the deceased man's brother takes the, the sister-in-law as a wife to raise up children in the name of the, of the dead brother. But if the man refuses, they go to the city gate, just like Boaz did, and, and, and the, the widow says, this man will not fulfill, it's called the Levirate duty, a, a Levirate marriage. <laughs> so if he refuses, this is, what she, this is what she gets to do. She gets to go pull the sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And in that village, in that community, that man's house is forever known as the one who got his sandal pulled off. Like, empower that girl, will you? <laughs> Here's the sandal thing. All, all worked out for us. We saw it in Deuteronomy, if we remember from back then. And the kinsman passes his first right of redemption on to Boaz. Boaz, all ready to, yeah, sure, acquire the land. Yes, yes, acquire uh, Ruth as wife. Absolutely, take on the responsibility of, of Naomi's safekeeping. Bring blessing. That's what he's all about. And Boaz becomes the true kinsman, kinsman redeemer. Boaz, he walked through the whole process without wavering. You know, at any point he could have bailed. At any point, he could have muscled his way, his way through it. He could have got what he wanted. Instead, he trusted God. And Ruth trusted God by trusting Naomi, who said, you can trust Boaz. Remember, Naomi said, Boaz is going to go today and make this thing right. Everybody's trusting God here. Everything they do, everything they say, everything they do for one another is based on that trust for God. And God's going God's to bless that. They are, they are working redemption together all the time. And church, I'd be, uh, we've got those measurements, okay? We know it's God's kindness when we put the, the needs of others ahead of, ahead of our own. We know it's God's kindness when we're, we're looking to honor God with what we're, what we're doing. And that's the bigger and broader and more general application of it. I, I'd, be, I'd be cheating us all if I didn't bring this to a, a more specific kind of application. Not the only one, but I ain't going to pass it up. I was just telling Katie a little while ago that when Kay and I do uh, premarital counseling, uh, the workbook we, we have has a couple of mentions of the, of the book of Ruth. We do the whole book. This story is so dear to my heart. 
and I want to see it played out in the lives of others so much that, that Kay and I will take a whole hour and a half, two-hour session with a couple and walk through this story and see how this trust and this kindness and this mercy and favor just all work together to bless one another and to, and to bless God. You know, this story here, these four chapters, these are words that were breathed out by God, and they were about a very real man and a very real woman in very real time and place. They had a real baby. You know, this was real stuff. That baby got diapered, got fed, got, you know, all that. It's actual, actual history. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm counting on this. Two things. Galatians 3.29 says this. If you are Abraham's seed, then you are, I'm sorry, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let that sink in, you know, for the rest of the day, but I'll kind of give you this little nudge by saying Ruth and Boaz are our ancestors in the faith. They lived what we're living just 3,000 years earlier. And I think the Lord has us in our two-year Bible reading program reading the story of Ruth all together this week to point up a thing I want to call your attention to right now. There's a desperate shortage of Boazes in our time. <laughs> Has been for a while. If I were ever to get into the matchmaker game, if I were ever to start a dating service, and sometimes I'm mightily tempted, I would call it, Boaz, come forth. I'd interview those guys. I'd tell them all about Ruth and Boaz. I'd point to Boaz and I'd say, you want to be him? Because if not, we're done here. Go sign up with somebody else. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> I'll need some help, <laughs> lots and lots of help, and it's scary. For now, I'm going to leave the matchmaking to Kay. <laughs> it's not like Boaz can't be found. I want to praise God and testify to you that less than two years ago, and he's not the only one, but in a very particular instance, less than two years ago, in this very room, standing right there, There's a couple about to be married, and I was convinced that Boaz was in the house. And so I pronounced a man and wife. I struck while the iron was hot before anybody could change their minds. It happens. It's there. And like I said, they're, they're, not, they're not the only ones. You know, sometimes a man doesn't even know he wants to be Boaz until he finds his root. And it's not unheard of for a man who's already married to discover, I got a Ruth, she's right here. I want to be Boaz. It's my story. I know it happens that way. I guess what's disheartening is to see brothers and sisters in Christ who settle for something much less because they've given up hope. And all the while, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All the while, everything the original Ruth and Boaz lived through, except for the lineage of Messiah thing, right? We'll put that into that great big glorious category by itself. Everything they experienced is available to us. It's not just left out there like 
That's a great fairy tale. I am so eager. I'm so eager to see more redemption, more blessing, more kindness lived out in the lives of those who will be married, the lives who are already married in the whole life of this church. I'm eager, so eager to see generations made whole. And I am glad to lead groups in this church serving the orphan, serving the widow, serving the, the sojourner and the outcast and the downtrodden. I'm so glad to lead groups doing that, but the very best work is done from the inside out. And God can make it, make it happen. And is this redemption only for married people? No, it's not just for, for married people. You see, all of us who are saved, all of us who are redeemed by the capital R, Redeemer, we make up the bride of Christ. We get to participate in our own sanctification. And so this is where I get to propose how we might build a culture of God's kindness and blessing, which operates in marriage and in singleness, in adults and in children. To the single right now. How would you like to find the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with who is already steeped in a culture of God's kindness and blessing? Sound very appealing? Yeah. Before I describe that plan, I'll call the worship team back up and I'll lay out some, some things here that we might, we might do to honor the Lord. You know, we've already established that God's kindness is always looking for expression. There, make a way. God's kindness is always looking for a means of expression. God's love has been poured into our hearts, according to Romans 5.5, 5, and it's meant to get out and circulate and do stuff. We've seen that God has made a way for that love to be expressed. Jesus, the incarnate word of God, we just sang that 30 minutes ago. Jesus, the incarnate word of God, has given us the great commandment. You know, loving others is the manifestation on the outside of the love of God on the inside. And so when we, we apply that to the group called others, like I said, you are free to express the kindness and blessing and love of God on anybody who's not you. So a thing that it, I think it makes folks blink when, when Kay and I say, when we're at our dining room table and here's a couple who are going to be married and maybe they're getting married for the first time, maybe they're getting married for not the first time. And, and we bring this concept that says, Love is funny in the sense that you can't demand it, you can't coerce it, you can't say, I got a right. You can only give what the other needs and receive in love what you may not even have known you needed in the first place. But that's how it works. I'm so eager for that to be our culture, a culture of God's kindness, a culture of God's kindness. If there is one scene from the story of Ruth that I would like for us to freeze frame in our minds, it would be this. It's that point where Boaz shows up in the barley field. He and Ruth meet on the first day she gleaned there. Pick that frame, that, that, that spot right there, that scene. Boaz came just looking for somebody to bless. And Ruth was there with a faith that said, God will make a way. I trust him. 
that scene right there. You know, they lived in a crazy time. We live in a crazy time. And Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In him, we may love without reservation and without fear. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, build our trust. Build our trust. Call to our remembrance all the times you've been faithful. We pray your words back to you again, Lord. Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Lord, we've been trusting. Uh, brothers have prayed over me today, and, and others have been praying for me today. That, that your word and your Holy Spirit would be released here today to work in the hearts and lives of the people. Lord, I'm trusting this is just the beginning. This is just a spark that you've used your servants here today, the worship team and me and, and the elders and others moving about this room, just, just, to, just to, to, to get it going. This is just a, a little step. And Lord, you're about to just blow the, the horizons wide open give us a whole new understanding of how your kindness is to be expressed. The Romans would tell us that your kindness is meant to bring us to repentance. And I pray, Lord, that in these, in these minutes here, in this room, and in the hours following through the rest of this day, Lord, if there are things we've got to repent of, places where we are given a counterfeit kindness, places where we withheld kindness, I don't know, places where we put our own concerns ahead of the, the concerns of others, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, bring that, that beautiful discipline, that beautiful conviction that will not only lead us into repentance, but give us the heads up that your love and your forbearance and your forgiveness are waiting on the other side of it. Lord, we trust you to turn us around if we're going in the wrong direction. We trust you, Lord God. We want nothing more, Father, than to express your love. You are truly the Father of all comfort and God of compassion be glorified, be exalted in our lives, in our doing, in our thinking, in our speaking, and most of all, in our loving. In Jesus' name.